welcome in to another episode of Home Field Advantage. My name is Will Highland. I hope you're all having a great week or weekend, wherever and however you may be listening to this podcast across our great country or our great land. Today is April 15th, 2023, tax day or at least it used to be until it seemed like it was always on the weekend. So if you don't have your taxes done, make sure to get those done by Tuesday. We're not here to talk about too many serious things. We're here to talk about sports. It's been a while. I took the Easter weekend off last week. I uh, celebrated Easter with my family. Hope uh, you all enjoyed your holiday, uh, no matter what it was. I hope you enjoyed your time off, uh, hopefully. But it's been a while since I last had a solo episode and just an episode in general. We've had Diesel on, we've had Mike on, we've had some great conversations uh, about sports over the last month or so. But I have a few things I want to get to today that I think are timely and that I think will be fun to talk about that I haven't necessarily talked about in a while. Uh, first, though, what a week in sports, right? Like, I had—I don't think we've talked. You know, you had UConn winning the Final Four a couple weeks ago since my last episode. Then you had the amazing beginning to the MLB season. Uh, so many exciting stories. The Rays started out 13-0. and We'll get to baseball later as well. And, you know, you have the... MLB, excuse me, the NBA and NHL seasons winding down the playoffs beginning today for the NBA and Monday for the um for the NHL. At least I think I think the the game is the the NBA playoffs start today. I could have next Saturday mixed up. Who knows? Whether it starts today or next Saturday doesn't matter. I heard Saturday. Knowing the NBA, it could be, you know, the third Saturday in July because of how long they drag out their playoffs. So when I heard Saturday, my first thought was today uh, could, with the play-in tournament and whatnot, could be wrong. So we'll find out. Uh, no, but no matter what, we're in a loaded sports calendar. We talked about the Masters with Diesel a few weeks ago. The Masters did not disappoint. Turned out to be John Rahm. Brooks Kepka, Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, Victor uh, Hovland, all those guys in the mix at the end. My picks, Max Homa and Tony Finau, I believe both made the cut, but they didn't uh, they didn't head uh, into the final day really in true contention. And then unfortunately, Diesel's pick, Corey Connors, the the proud Canadian, uh, did not make the cut. So it just goes to show how difficult it is to predict the game of golf. Tiger did play, which was cool to see early on, but he had to withdraw due to injury. Um, clearly, his physical ailments were getting the best of him, which is too bad. But still great to see him uh, take take the course in Augusta. So we've just had a amazing week of sports. Um, but the one thing that I've left out of this entire opening spiel is that we have the NFL draft coming up. And... You know, the NFL draft is really only exciting to two cohorts of football fans. 
Number one is the really hardcore gridiron gurus, mock draft, you know, insanely devoted individuals who will come through hours of film and tape and articles and rankings and all this stuff. The, the, the draft nerds, right? The football heads, the geeks, the nerds, the draft guys, the guys that love to talk about scouting grades and this and that. Those people love the NFL draft. And I would also lump into that group the college uh, football people that really love that end of college football as well. You know, rankings, grades, um, all that stuff. College, conferences, teams, yada, yada, yada. That group of people really loves the NFL draft. The other group is people who are just casual NFL fans but know that their team needs a quarterback, right? Like for me, most of my life, I mean, hate to – you know, brag a little bit, but my team, the Patriots, they were usually picking at the bottom of the draft and we never needed a quarterback until a few years ago. So the NFL draft was sort of, a you know, something we complained about when it went wrong, but never something that Patriots fans like myself really got geeked up for, right? Like, it, you know, we we drafted some great players over the years, like McCourty, uh, Dante Hightower, Logan Mankins. I mean, some of our first round picks have been great picks, uh, Chandler Jones and uh, Gerard Mayo like there was a uh, Gronk in the second round there were there were a few some years there where you know we walked out of the draft with with a lot of with a lot of excitement but not necessarily about a quarterback obviously because we you know Tom Brady but now you know as somebody who like look like I don't think they're gonna I don't think the Patriots are gonna draft a quarterback but a couple of years ago, uh, we saw we saw Mac Jones get taken 15th overall, and it was exciting leading up to that draft. It was like, okay, well, are the Patriots going to trade for a guy? Are they going to go? Like, we knew we couldn't go into another year with Cam Newton and nobody else. Um, so we thought about, oh, well, maybe we'll see what Stidham's got. Maybe we'll do something uh, in free agency. And then we ended up, you know, basically – admitting that we were probably going to take a quarterback in the first round. And then it was like, okay, well, is that going to be Fields? Is it going to be Mac Jones? What about Trey Lance or, you know, Zach Wilson? And like that whole thing in 2021. But now it's kind of like, okay, the Patriots are probably going to ride with Mac because he's cheap. But then there's all this chatter about, you know, is he really the quarterback of the future or whatnot? Um, my first thought about all of this is that number one, the Patriots were probably not going to go for quarterback. But number two, you know, even though my team's not going for a quarterback, we also are in a loaded division, loaded conference. And so I'm interested in this draft and where the quarterbacks are going to go because the AFC is already loaded with amazing quarterbacks. Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Josh Allen, you know, Justin Herbert, if you want to put him there. I, th I think Trevor Lawrence is going to, uh, exceed expectations again next year if that's even possible for a guy like him um so i mean and i'm probably forgetting guys i mean lamar for the time being is still in the afc and you know deshaun watson we'll see what happens if he can stay on the field there uh in in cleveland uh, but you know this this conference is full of we'll see if aaron Rodgers even goes to new york so there's so much going on in this conference that it's it's interesting to look at some of these quarterbacks 
Um, and to me, there's really five. All right. A lot of people, I think, agree with me that there's five pro ready, like draft first day or two quarterbacks on the board right now. You know, Aiden O'Connell from uh, from Purdue, not really sold on uh, right now. There's a kid from Fresno State that some people are talking about, but it's really down to five names right now. It's down to C.J. Stroud from Ohio State, Bryce Young from Alabama, Will Levis from Kentucky, Hedden Hooker from Tennessee, and Anthony Richardson from Florida. Those are Those are your five quarterbacks that are probably going to get drafted in the first round or second round. Um, I think there's one guy that will probably fall the second round, and it's probably going to be Hendon Hooker because of his injury last year. But, I mean, had he not gotten injured, it's very likely that he may have won the Heisman. And also very likely that uh, Hendon Hooker would be in the first round uh, with these guys. It would look like it did in 2018 or 2021, where you have a lot of first-round quarterbacks. But just like there are five quarterbacks in this draft that are considered at the top of their class. There's also five teams I think that are in the market of the of the draft to go out and spend a high draft pick on a quarterback. Obviously the Panthers and the Texans are at the top of those lists. Everybody I think knows that the Panthers need a quarterback. The um the Matt Corral situation I don't think is a long-term one. Uh, they've been really looking for a quarterback since, you know, Cam Newton left um, and started to get hurt. I mean, and that's been five five years at this point. Um, but there's there's three other teams that I think are pretty interesting to talk about. And then even one extra that I, I think we're, everyone's underestimating. So you've also got the Colts. The Colts, the Matt Ryan experience was not there. So very likely that the Colts also go get a quarterback. Very likely that the um, Vegas, uh, I almost said Golden Knights, geez, talking too much hockey. Very likely that the Las Vegas Raiders also go out and draft a quarterback. Um, I think Jimmy G for the rest of his career is going to be looked at as the bridge guy. I mean, it's kind of funny in many ways. He was a bridge guy in New England. He was a bridge guy for four games until Tom Brady could come back and win another Super Bowl. Um, He's... He was looked at as the guy in San Francisco for a few years, even led them to the Super Bowl, but then again was looked at as the bridge guy. And now with San Francisco having Brock Purdy and Trey Lance, they're going to move on from Jimmy G, of course, and he finds his way a few hours east to Vegas. And and I think I think Vegas sees him. Look, and Josh McDaniels is out there. Josh McDaniels wants to work with a young quarterback. He liked Mac Jones here. Um and I think that he wants to work with a young guy. Now, he's worked with Jimmy before. He knows he could trust Jimmy. But I think the Vegas uh, Raiders are also in the market for a quarterback because of the McDaniels hire. And we know Dave Ziegler feels the same. All right, the other two teams that I don't think a lot of people are talking about right now, and there's one in particular that I don't think anyone's talking about in terms of the quarterback market. But the Vikings are another. I think the Vikings see the writing on the wall with Kirk Cousins. Like, they've already given him a massive contract. And they haven't really won anything with Kirk. Um, they were probably the I know they were the worst playoff team last year in terms of point differentials during the regular season. Um, 
they are what they are with Kirk Cousins. They're a team that's going to overachieve in the regular season and underachieve in the postseason. Now, I, I mean, Kirk Cousins is is your very, very good, solid quarterback, but he's not a guy that I think Minnesota wants to carry deep into his 30s, right? This is not a guy whose age is necessarily going to uh, going to be nice to him. Right. Uh, hopefully he doesn't experience the same kind of injuries that a guy like Alex Smith did or a guy like Cam Newton did. But this is a guy where once he gets older, probably Alex Smith is the more uh, more or Carson Palmer are more the um, fair comp, you know, guys that really slowed down once they got into their mid 30s. Uh, and struggled with injuries. I think the Vikings see that with Kirk Cousins. He is what he is. Very, very good quarterback. Really good. The stats guys love him. But the guys that want to win games in the playoffs, he's not really your guy. Um, even he, he, I think his one signature playoff win was over Drew Brees down at the Superdome. But beyond that, he's been a disappointment. So I think the Vikings see the writing on the wall with him. And for that reason, I could see them going and spending in the first round on a guy like Will Levis or uh, Hendon Hooker, which we'll get to my rankings of those five in a second. And then the last team is the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, you know, I, th- I think Seattle is not on anyone's radar in terms of quarterback. I, they just gave Geno Smith an extension, right? So I think that leads a lot of people to think that perhaps, um, perhaps they're not in the quarterback market. But I think they are. Um, I think... It's unlikely that they take a guy in the first round, but if Hendon Hooker's sitting there in the in the second round, they might even trade some of their picks. I mean, they still have a boatload of picks because of the Wilson trade. And I could see Seattle swinging for a guy. I could because, look, Geno Smith, great story last year. Uh, he gets an extension, which is good for him in his career, but they're definitely going for a guy. Um, they're definitely going to go for... Um, somebody like uh, I lost my train of thought here definitely going to go for a guy somewhere in the future Um, it might not be somebody in this draft and like you know they're obviously not going to swing to go get Bryce Young I don't think so I don't think they're going to swing to try and go get Stroud or even Richardson Um, I actually think Hooker's sort of a better prospect than Richardson, but again, I'll get to that in a second. I don't think they'll have, I don't think they'll have the ammo to really, unless they wanted to get a guy this year, I don't think they're going to try and get a guy in the first round. They could swing for a guy in the second or third round. I mean, and that's where, you know, O'Connell or Hooker might be a more uh, realistic option. Unless Levis drops. I mean, it really depends on, on who's sitting in their lap. Right. I, I forget where they pick. I know I know they pick in the top five or six. Um I I don't know where they're where they're picking in the second round and who's gonna be available. The one other thing I would say about Seattle is it's likely that I'm wrong and they sit out this year because there's a guy next year who has a USC connection just like Pete Carroll. His name's Caleb Williams and he won the Heisman. So we'll see what happens there. And I believe that they still have a first round pick in next year's draft from the Wilson trade. And if the Broncos suck again, uh, which is likely considering they're playing in a loaded division and a loaded AFC, um, even if Sean Payton's back, still likely that some of these picks turn into 
a top 15 pick. And if, and if Seattle continues to have all these picks, you know, they could move up in the draft next year and go for Caleb Williams. That's just something I'm throwing out there. Um, so we'll get, we'll, we'll probably talk about that a year from now. All right. So what do I think of these guys? I mean, I like Bryce Young. I think he's a little small. Uh, CJ Stroud. I'm not sure how his skills are going to translate to the NFL. Same thing with Will Levis. I, I just don't know. Um, I think Richardson is going to be a project QB, but he has an extremely high ceiling. He's very dynamic. He can do a lot of things on the football field. So for me, that's where I see those guys. And then Hooker is the big wild card, right? Like Hendon Hooker, if he had played a full season last year, there's no question that we're talking about him as a first-round quarterback, in my mind. Problem is, his storybook season with the Volunteers was cut short. So it's hard for me to see him getting drafted in the first round. But I could see a team late in the draft take a flyer on him, much like the Ravens did with Lamar uh, in 2018 at 31 overall, I believe. Maybe it was maybe it was 32. I, I can't remember when Lamar was taken, but um, but I, you know, I could see some of that happening. Is it likely? Probably not. I think he slips. I think he ends up some I think he ends up in Vegas. Um, I think he ends up uh, I think he ends up on a team like Vegas, maybe Seattle, maybe uh, uh, Minnesota. Uh, Green Bay. I mean, so, I don't know how this love experience is going to go. I mean, I could see something very similar to what happened with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, right? They had a young guy, Wentz. They weren't really sure if Wentz was the, the guy, even though Wentz had a great season in 17. He had battled injury and he wasn't respected well in the locker room. And so they went out and they got Jalen Hurts and fast forward a few years and they're in the Super Bowl. I could see something like that happening with one of these teams on the periphery um, that doesn't necessarily trust their quarterback. I think Washington is a wild card right now. No one really knows what Washington wants to do at quarterback. Um, that could be a situation where the commanders swing for one of these guys. Uh, as well. So there's a lot of factors. I'm not a draft expert. I don't know. Um, there's still s things to be ironed out. Like the Jets still need to figure out what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. Um, because if if the Packers let go of Rodgers via trade and commit to love, I see them trying to go get somebody else too. Um, we got... Washington and Indianapolis out there in the mix, plus all those other teams I talked about, like Houston, Miami. Um, you know, there's there's a situation where even a team like the Dolphins could swing on a quarterback because they have a huge question mark, right? Much like Wentz, they have a huge question mark uh, with Tua, right? Or could they do something similar to what Philadelphia did a few years ago? We will find out. All right. I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you a little bit about what's going on with our sponsors. So you might have realized that I was dropped by Anchor. Nothing I did wrong except that I'm a little guy. 
And Anchor, who, if you're listening on audio, used to have an ad that I read at the beginning of our pod. Anchor still powers the podcast, but I'm not big enough for them to uh, use their money to promote or use me to promote them and them using their money on me or whatever the correct relationship is. I'm not big enough for that anymore. Um, We are growing really well. We're doing really well, but um, not to the standard that they need um, to continue that sponsorship sponsorship unfortunately this happens a lot with young podcasters and uh or you know what i mean young podcasts i am also a young podcaster but you know it, it's sad uh i liked i liked having that sponsorship it was fun i think i did a good job with the ad reads i mean you guys know you're the listeners it was a little bit disappointing but that being said if and if you're watching on youtube you're welcome to reach out as well if you know somebody who wants to sponsor and get in to the ears of dozens of listeners on a weekly basis, right? People all over New England, all over the Eastern US. I have I have listeners in places that I don't even knew know that I had friends in, right? So these are people that have come to the show, places like Ohio and Washington. All right. If you know somebody that is interested in uh sponsoring this podcast, have them reach out to me at homefieldpod on Instagram or here on YouTube uh, as well at Sportland USA Productions. I'm I'm welcome, I or excuse me, I welcome new uh, voices, new sponsorships. I don't, I won't do anything gambling related. And I won't do anything marijuana related. I'm sorry. That's just not what I do. Um, not what I believe in. Uh, but I am, I am down. I'm down. I'm open. I'm, I'm, I'm open for business. All right. And I'm, I'm ready. So if you know anybody, send them my way looking for a new sponsor. And who knows? If the brand fits well, you might even find your logo on the cover art. All right. Speaking of looking for a fit and looking for a partner, this Red Sox team is... (laughs) You know what it is? It's like a... It's like a um, high school or middle school boyfriend and girlfriend. Right. Like, you know, I, I talked to some kids, they're younger. Right. And and that's fine. I mean, I was like this when I was their age and this was well before social media made it easier to, I mean, it was still easy, but well before uh, social media and the internet exploded in every kid under the age of like 18, roughly. I mean, even, or excuse me, over the age of 10, um, roughly had a smartphone, um, but these kids these days will talk about their, oh, I've got a girlfriend. They're 11 years old, right? And so as an adult, you just kind of look at them and you smile and you're like, that's cute, you know? That's what this Red Sox team is. Like this Red Sox team is a middle school relationship. You look at this team and you're like, yikes, uh, that's cute um, that you're going to try and do this. And who knows? Maybe one day you'll get married or win the World Series. Um, but this early on the, in this young season, I'm looking at this relationship and I'm saying, this is your way still, you're way too underdeveloped. There's too many question marks. There's no direction. Uh, you don't know what you're doing yet. You have somebody at who's in over their head. Uh, he doesn't understand. And that's what I see when I see this Red Sox team. All right. It's a middle school relationship, even a high school relationship, right? When, 
when you're ninth or 10th grade, you're like, okay, dude, talk to me again when you're a senior, talk to me again when you're in college or when you're 25 or 30. Um, so <laughs> that's what I see with this Red Sox team. I'm, I, and, and I'm trying not, I'm trying not to speak too in jest about it, but uh, I'm, I'm looking at this lineup. All right. And this is yesterday's lineup. There was a day where they didn't even have Devers in the lineup. All right. And I'm not even going to read you that lineup because it's three days old at this point And I'd have to go back and find it. Um, but just imagine this lineup without Devers. Okay. Um, and I'm going to read you this lineup. Okay. And, and, and let me preface it first by saying, I understand that Trevor Story and Adam Duvall are hurt. Okay. I get that. I understand that. That's fine. Adam Duvall, you got horrible luck. But at the same time, this is a guy who had a wrist injury history. So, at the, I mean, how much are you really going to blame luck on this? I mean, the Red Sox knew this guy was older and injury, and had injuries. Maybe not injury prone, but he had injuries. And at the same time, I see Trevor Story, okay? He was the last guy at the dance during last offseason's free agency. Uh, spending spree. Maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe people knew about his injuries or about his uh, vulnerability. So look, I understand that those two guys are injured and that leaves a huge hole in your lineup. That still has nothing to do with not really going out and getting a big bat in the offseason. I mean, I know you got Yoshida uh, and, and Yoshida is supposed to be an impact player, and I think he can be, um, you know, but with that, with no Yoshida in the lineup, no Duvall in the lineup, there's not much there, um, unfortunately. And that's why, much like a middle school relationship, when you look at it and there's big gaping holes, oh, you only see each other at school, or you're 11 years old or 12 years old, uh, yeah, Um that's not a recipe for for a, for a success long term. Um, same thing with this Red Sox team. I'm looking at this Red Sox team, and okay, we know there's no story, no Duvall, no Yoshida right now. You had already let Xander and JD walk out. Sure, you re-signed Devers, but the rest of this lineup is a hodgepodge of nothingness. All right, that's what Eck used to describe the Pirates last year. All right, the Pirates, this lineup is very reminiscent to that Pirates lineup, with all due respect. Eck called that team a hodgepodge of nothingness. That team, albeit a little different, swept you last week at home. So this is what the Red Sox are. And, you know, I'm a Red Sox fan. I look, see the sign over my over my shoulder here. I'm a Red Sox fan. I love this team. I grew up, I idolized this team. I idolized Manny Ramirez and uh and David Ortiz and Veritech and Pedroia and and you know the pitchers on this team, Josh Beckett and Kurt Schilling and Pedro. I mean, I idolized those guys. Even into my like high school years, John Lester and that 2013 team, Shane Victorino and Mike Napoli. I mean, those guys were veterans, but they were veterans who had won. Shane Victorino had won. John Lackey had won. 
These guys had done things in their career. No offense, but Christian Royal, we're trying to make Christian Royal happen. It's year three. Good player. He's not an everyday major league hitter. All right, so let me read through this lineup and just everybody understand because Red Sox fans get really sensitive with me. And I talk to a wide variety of variety of Red Sox fans, young and old, you know, casual and hardcore. And, you know, I get varying responses to my opinions on this. And look, I'm open. I'm open to debate and discussion. There's room for improvement here. I'm willing to have my mind change, but ultimately I don't see a lot that's different from this team and last year's team that was a letdown. So let me read this line up to you real quick. We got Verdugo leading off. All right. Yeah, it was yesterday. We got Justin Turner batting second. All right. We got Rob Refsteiner batting third. Just going to let that permeate for a second. Okay. Devers batting fourth. Good spot for him. Kike batting seventh. All right. And by the way, these guys are, uh, I, I won't even bring up how Bobby Dalbeck was playing shortstop the other day. I'm, I'm not going to say anything about that. We're going to, we're going to just leave that as it is. And if you guys want to hear more about it, just, you don't even have to go listen to anything. Just go watch him field the ground ball and you'll in the first inning and you'll understand what I mean. Then you've got Christian Arroyo batting uh, six. Um, uh, Tristan Kosh is batting seventh. Supposed to be the savior. Uh, Connor Wong batting eighth. Um, all right. That, I mean, I, I can't really complain about Connor Wong batting eighth. That's where he belongs. And um, with all due respect, Yu Chang batting ninth. I can't really complain about that because, I mean, at his absolute peak, that dude's an eight hitter. All right. He has a 205 career batting average in the major leagues. So, I mean, I can't really complain about Wong and Chang being where they are. But I did this exercise and I thought if I was constructing a playoff contending World Series potential winner lineup, where would these guys hit in that lineup? At their peak. All right. At the very best case scenario of that player at this stage in their career, where would they? Not what they used to be, not um, what they would be if they were. Um, you know, uh, younger on a different team, but if they were right now on a contending team playing at their highest level capable at this moment in their career, where would they hit? I had Verdugo as a seven hitter. That's his peak. He's not a leadoff hitter. He's maybe a two hitter if you have a really good leadoff hitter and you want a bridge guy to the middle of your lineup. Maybe. But you'd have to really sell me on what the rest of that lineup looked like. Like, is this a 2018 lineup where he's hitting between, you know, J.D. Martinez and uh, Mookie Betts? I mean, if that's the case, sure. Or, you know, is this is this the, you know, 2004 lineup and you've got Johnny Damon and then, you know, David Ortiz or Manny? Sure. But, I mean, <laughs> if he's leading off and then your second hitter is Justin Turner, who, look, I like that dude, but... He's won before as well. So, you know, I, I can't say that they brought in guys that hadn't won, but Justin Turner at this stage of his career, he's a six hitter at best. Rob Refsnyder, great guy, good utility player. He's not a third hitter. He's not. He's maybe a seven or eight hitter. 
So I put him down as an eight. He, if you're if you're a World Series contending team and he's your eight hitter and he platoons once in a while and you know hits at the bottom of the lineup and plays good defense, sure. You've got Devers batting fourth. All right, that's a good place for him. I think he's a three hitter. You got Kike batting fifth. Kike's a seven hitter. All right, not any higher than that if you're on a contending ball club. Arroyo's an eight hitter. I'm sorry. Like if you're if you were putting together a World Series contender, he's hitting at the bottom of your lineup. He's hitting seventh on this lineup. No, sorry, he's hitting sixth in this lineup. Cassius, he's a six hitter, but he's hitting seventh. All right, hard to complain about that. Wong, he's an eight hitter, and Chang is an eight hitter at their best. I mean, and I was being generous here, guys. I did the average. That's a 7.66 average. All right. 7.66 average. That's the average peak in the lineup of who this team is batting right now. Not a recipe to win a lot of baseball games. So... I mean, we'll see. It's still it's still early, but you know, <laughs> I mean, look, I'm pulling up the standings right here. I still had it open. So there's seven games out of first, and uh, if you're even looking at the wild card right now, there are only two back of the wild card. You know, surprisingly, you know, they're six and eight, and they're only two games worse than the Yankees. But it just feels so different. It feels so different. The Twins are off to a great start. The Rays are off to an amazing start. They're only like three games worse than the Tex, uh, than the uh, Rangers who are leading their division right now. But even though I know it's early and that there is some room for improvement, I have I have a strong feeling that this could unravel quickly like it did in 2012. I'm not sold on Yoshida yet at the big leagues. I know it's been 15 games or whatever. Uh, he hasn't played recently. I'm not sold on this pitching staff. I'm not even going to get there today. Um, Chris Sale has been a little disappointing. He has the stuff. He's throwing strikes and striking guys out, but his command isn't there. So, I don't know. We'll have to see what happens. All right, another baseball thought real quick, and I'm going to pull this quote up on my phone. Um, There's been some rule changes, right? The games are faster. We all know that. We're not going to spend any more time talking about that today. But one thing that's happened is they've begun to – lose money in beer sales. And people had been predicting this for a while. All right, but let me read a quote to you by Matt Strom, who played for the Red Sox, I think, last year or the year before. Um, And this was on recent news that some teams are going to extend alcohol sales to the eighth inning because the games are going by too fast and the seventh inning was coming and going too quickly and they were losing money in beer sales. All right. So let me just read this to you. Quote, the reason we stopped 
selling alcohol in the seventh before was to give our fans time to sober up and drive home safe. Correct. So now with a faster paced game, if the game is going to finish quicker, we would not move the beer sales back to the sixth inning to give our fans time to sober up and drive home. Instead, we're going to the eighth. And now you're putting our fans and our family at risk driving home with people who have just drank beers 22 minutes ago. He's right. I mean, he's right. If anything, the faster games mean you would sell beer for less time because because you would then have the later innings go just as quick as the earlier innings. And, you know, if a normal game used to take three hours, 20 minutes, let's say, and now it's taking two and a half hours, okay, you've lost 50 minutes total on the game but you've probably only lost about 40 minutes of beer sales because, you know, maybe if you stop selling in the seventh and now the seventh inning is happening, you know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes earlier than it used to. Okay. You're, you're missing out between 20 to 30 minutes of beer sales. All right. But now that you're moving it forward, you're getting back those minutes, but the ninth inning, then if you're still selling in the eighth inning and the and the home team's ahead in the ninth inning, I mean, you could theoretically buy a couple of beers in the bottom of the eighth. The game ends in the top of the ninth, and you're driving home. And so I agree with Strom, and he's right. You should have it earlier, not later. If anything, you should open the gates to the game earlier and get people in there drinking early in the game. And if people are complaining about, oh, well, there's traffic, I can't get there fast enough, so that's not going to help me. Who gives a shit? Go drink somewhere else. Or, you know, you should be drinking and driving anyway. Um, So, like, wait till the game before you have a beer, you know? I I don't know. Um, I don't know if that really made sense. But, you know, if... If they're going to open the stadium at five instead of six to make up for lost beer sales, maybe you'd get people there earlier who are drinking there rather than at the place they are having dinner at before they show up. You know, and and so that could even actually have a positive effect on drunk driving. If you open the game earlier, knowing that, yeah, someone's going to come here and get some beers but it's going to be early in the night and maybe they'll stop drinking and whatever. Um, so, I, you know, I think you should, I think they should stop selling it at the fifth or sixth inning at the latest, to be honest with how fast these games are going. Um, and Strom makes a great point. And look, I know that's not a, I know that's not a popular opinion. Um, but I, I mean, consuming alcohol, it's not a human right. Okay. It's within a business's, uh, which is what these stadiums are. It's within a business's uh, control to prohibit you from buying alcohol. Um, they're the ones with the license to sell liquor or alcohol, and they're the ones with the liability of that license and the insurance of that facility and whatever, if there's injury or, or whatnot. So it's well within their rights. You having a beer in the eighth inning is not a human right. All right, so if you want to drink at a sporting event, especially a baseball game, go early. 
go early. Just go early. Have them open the gates early. That's my that's my solution. If they're really concerned about losing 30 minutes worth of beer sales, first of all, that's ridiculous considering that these beers at a place like Fenway, I mean, they class up $15 and up. I mean, at the very least for like a Coors Light or a Miller Light or Bud Light. You know, it's, I don't even buy alcohol at sporting events because it's just like, the tickets are as more expensive than I'm usually willing to pay in the first place. So, I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I agree with Strom. I think it's a stupid idea. Um, We already have a problem with uh, drunk driving in this country. We do. I mean, we we have an alcoholic problem in this country. I mean, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with you guys on a sports podcast, but we do. I mean, the beer industry is massive. And look, I enjoy a a uh, hard beverage once in a while just as much as probably a lot of you guys but again it's not a human right to have a beer at the eighth inning of a, of a of a baseball game and i don't really think anyone's arguing that it is but i think these these teams and these stadiums operators are you know they're interested in their bottom line and look some people predicted this i believe believe uh even jared kravis from barstool predicted this um back in the day uh so when these rule changes came out. So it's not going to help. People are going to lose. People are losing money in beer sales. And and it shouldn't really be a surprise that this is happening. I would just say, if just open the, open the gates earlier. I mean, then people are, are going to say that, people are going to say that, you know, they have to pay for staffing longer and this and that. And look, I get that. I worked at a minor league baseball team. I understand how much work goes into just putting on one game. But at the same time, even if you had a small area and only opened one part, one part of the stadium for early alcohol sales, let's say, let's say the game started at seven, you open gates at uh, five thirty or five, um, maybe five. Uh, that's two hours ahead of game time. You can have a couple uh, areas, depending on the size of the venue, where alcohol is sold, and then the rest sell at the normal time up until up until the uh, seventh or eighth. Uh, excuse me, the fifth or sixth inning. Uh, that's what I would do. Um, I would not go beyond the sixth inning with how fast these games are going, because even if they kept the rule status quo at the seventh inning, right? That that's still the seventh inning of today's game is a lot later in the proportion of the game than the seventh thing used to be before the pitch clock. So it does make a difference. All right. Be interested to see what you guys think of that. I just thought I'd bring that up since it was in the news this week. All right. Lastly, just want to preview real quick, the playoff matchup between the Bruins and Panthers. Um, Bruins, number one overall seed in the East, number one overall seed in the AHL. They're playing the second wildcard team, which is, the Florida Panthers, I'm looking at this matchup, and the more I look at it, the more I actually don't like it. Um, the Panthers played the Bruins tough. They beat the Bruins twice down there in uh, Sun- Sunrise, Fort Lauderdale, and then they um, lost the Bruins twice by some pretty offensive margins up here in Boston. Um, but I think home ice... 
will still play a factor in the playoffs, even though the Bruins have four out of the seven games at home. Um, I could see the Bruins splitting uh, in Florida, and I could even see them splitting at home. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think this series will be decided less by home ice, even though that's a factor to me, and more by the fact that the Florida Panthers are really good offensively. So it's going to be up to the Bruins defense. And look, I think the addition of uh, Orloff has been great. We'll see if Forbert's going to get back into the mold. Uh, we've got McAvoy and Lindholm, Carlo. I'm not really worried about any of those guys. Clifton, we'll see uh, defensively speaking how that goes. Uh, but I think he's played and improved a lot this year. Um, but I, the Panthers worry me offensively. I mean, you'll get uh, Alexander Barkov first and foremost and that he's a factor. All right, you got Matt Kachuk as well. Those two guys are going to be huge factors. Um, they are going to be without Sam Bennett, who got placed on IR, and they are going to be on um, are going to be without goalie Spencer Knight, who uh, I believe is out indefinitely, violating some you know stipulation or something. I I don't really know the particulars, but I know they're down a goalie, but they've still got Sergei Bobrovsky, so I'm less concerned about that situation. Um, but for the Bruins, five on five plays can be really important because their power play hasn't been great and their penalty kill is still really good. But the more chances you give this Florida team with the way they've been scoring and how well they've been playing, and they had some hard games in the year, so it's hard to blame them. But in Florida, that is the Bruins will have won 15 out of 16, which is just unbelievable to end the season. So they're equally as hot, but they've had trouble scoring on the power play in the like latter third of the year. So five on five play and dominating on five by flat on five by five. Jeez, I can't even talk. Dominating five on five play is going to determine the series to me for the Bruins. They can roll. They have the ability to roll three lines that I would consider to be above average lines in the NHL, if not great lines. Like their fourth line is still really good with Hathaway, Frederick, and, you know, Greer or No Sick or whoever they're putting down there. But their top three lines, I'm just going to list nine players. And and we know Monty will move them around, but you've got Marchand, Bergeron, DeBrusque is your first line. And then you've got Zaka, Krejci, Pasternak. And we'll see if Krejci gets back Form. I know he's been sitting there. I think there's really trying to preserve his energy for the playoffs. But even so, you've got Zaku who's playing really well and Pasternak, who's just, in my opinion, should win the heart. Um, I'm very biased. Uh, but I mean, Connor McDavid, I understand he is Wayne Gretzky 2.0. Um, but once in a while, there's a player on a team who's just so good and has made so much of a difference in scoring that it's hard not to look at David Pasternak and what he's doing as well. But anyway, then you got your third line. Ho-hum, Taylor Hall, who's won a heart himself, and then uh, Charlie Coyle and Tyler Bertuzzi. I mean, it's actually laughable how deep this team is right now. Uh, And they, they could still get Nick Foligno back at some point in the playoffs if they continue to advance. Um, who's adds a veteran presence. They've got AJ Greer and Jacob Lauco down there. They've got No Sick and Garnet Hathaway, the kid from Maine. Uh, shout out Kenneth Bunkport, uh, who is playing on their fourth line and doing extremely well down there. So 
I mean, this team is just so deep offensively. And then defensively, I've talked about it. Uh, and then in goal, we know uh, what Allmark can do. So I'm really looking forward to this series. It scares me a little bit more just because I think I was going to be nervous no matter what, whether they ended up playing the Isles or the Penguins or the um, or the Panthers, because all three teams played them tough this year. Um, but something about going down there, going to that building where they've lost twice already this year, scares me a little bit, I'm not going to lie. And I still think the Bruins are going to win this series. I think the Bruins are going to win it in six. Um, but I do think they lose. I do think they probably lose one game down there and maybe even one game at home. I uh, just, just the way I see it. I see, I could see them. Excuse me. I feel like I need to sneeze. I could see them losing uh, game one, sorry, game two at home and then maybe winning game three and losing game four and then coming back to Boston two two and then winning five and then winning down there in six. That's what I could see happen. Very similar trajectory, if you remember the Blue Jackets series from a few years ago when they went to the cup final. Um, Looked a little dicey at first, but then the Bruins took care of business at the end of the series. I could see it happening that way. I hope hope we uh, get it done, but I'm going to try and do some more podcasts this week. I'm not sure how this is going to look, but I'm looking to extend the... I'm looking to extend to maybe doing two episodes a week, but I will uh, find out more about that at a later date. All right, that's, or I should say, I will relay this to you at a later date. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you did, again, I hope you did, please share it with your friends, like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us online at homefieldpod on Instagram and Twitter and subscribe here on YouTube if you're watching um, below as well. We're going to be in right in the thick of it here, guys, for the next few months, and I'm really looking forward to going along for the ride with you all um, through this massively packed sports calendar. But until next time, my name is Will Highland, and you've been listening and watching Home Field Advantage. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to check out some of our other programs on the Sportland USA Podcast Network, including Making Fire, a Survivor Podcast, Filling Up with Kyle Diesel, and the Deer Go Daily News. All these programs are produced independently under the Sportland USA Podcast Network and the views expressed on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.